And would you uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word, our sermon text this morning. We're going to be in Matthew, continuing in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We made it through Matthew chapter 5. So let's uh, move on to Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus, verses 1 through 4. They'll be on the screen. Also, in the Bibles in front of you, in the chairs in front of you, page 810 or 811, I think. And um, if you don't have a Bible, take that with you. It's yours for free. All right. The words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, like I said, we're moving on from chapter 5 to chapter 6, which is a a great thing, and many of you have asked, is it the same in chapter 6? Is, is it a little different? It seems like it is a little different. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. First, uh, I'm Ryan. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see you. If you're new, welcome. We're glad you're, you're here. Uh, if you noticed when you drove in, man, the landscaping looks fantastic, doesn't it? Some people came, and some of you all just gave your time and went to town, and it looks fantastic. And uh, so thank you for that. Thank you very much. I was... Uh, unable to attend because I was praying and fasting in Florida, and so uh, you may think that this tan is from working. It's not. It's not from working. Uh, Also, VBS is coming up. We still need help, so if you can help, please do. Also, there's some things on the window there, kind of as you exit, and there's some things we still need bought for VBS. So if you could grab one of those note cards, take it with you, and go buy whatever's on it, that is great. Um, maybe we'll set a trumpet right there so we can blow the trumpet as you do to recognize your giving and so that everyone will know you're such a righteous person. We won't do that. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Let's get to work. So Jesus has finished the section on kind of clarifying the law. That was the last part of chapter 5. It was those, you have heard it was said, dot, 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 but I say... So he's kind of moved on from that. Now, don't think, don't like just forget that, because that was the foundation for what he's going to say today. So keep that in mind as we hear what he says here in chapter 6. It's really the foundation for what he's going to say. The structure kind of goes like this. Verse 1, he gives you just a summary statement, and then he's going to continue for about the next 18 verses to kind of explain that summary statement. So the summary statement in verse 1 of chapter 6 is this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And you might think, what do you mean practicing your righteousness in front of other people to be seen by them? And Jesus says, I've got you covered. Let me give you three examples of what that looks like. First example, giving to the needy. Second example, praying. Third example, fasting. 
That's the section that we're in. Here's his first example of sounding a trumpet when you give to the needy. Now let's review a little bit to see where we've come from. Jesus was discussing the law, discussing the loftiness of the law, how we cannot meet the law's demands, how we don't have the righteousness within us that we need, that he demands. And now uh, you must think, or if you were there, you would think, now hold on, this is completely different from what the other religious leaders are telling us. So if this is true, if we have no righteousness in ourselves but need the righteousness that you have provided, Jesus, uh, what does that look like then as we kind of live out our religion or live out our righteousness? It probably looks different from the religious leaders who are teaching something different. So what does it look like? And that's where he's going now. The question that underlines this is, what does religion look like when we have gifted righteousness from our brother Jesus? Gifted righteousness that he completed for us and gives all of it to us. All right, well, here's the sermon summary. We've been doing a sermon summary that kind of helps summarize the whole sermon. Duh. Gifted righteousness frees us from record-keeping love. Gifted righteousness frees us from record-keeping love. Now, remember the, the, the two different types of righteousness we have here. You have you, here's the scenario. You either have a righteousness that you earn and that you keep up and that you have to uh, you know, make sure it looks beautiful the whole way along, or you say, I can't do that. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I'll take the one Jesus did. Those are the kind of two options we have here. And what we said about the, the, the righteousness that Jesus provides, as he kind of explained it previously when he explained the law that describes the righteousness that he is, there's three things that we kind of discussed. It's a gifted righteousness. It's just given to you. It's fully yours, but you just didn't earn it. But it's fully yours, but it's gifted to you. Secondly, it's complete. There's nothing you can add to it. It doesn't need anything else. There's no like, I did the first 90%, you do the last 10. Jesus did 100% of the law, lived it all perfectly. He's 100% righteous, and then he just gives it to us. So it's gifted, it's complete, and then it's sure, meaning it can't be lost, it can't be lessened. It's 100% sure as is. So if that's the sort of righteousness we have, what do we do with it? Or do we do anything with it? How do we live like that. Well, Jesus says in verse 1, I'll tell you what it doesn't, does not look like. It does not look like showing off your religious deeds so that you feel superior and other people feel inferior. So he's kind of saying, hey, you know how the religious leaders, they go to give to the needy and they make a big deal of it and they sound a trumpet and they make sure everyone sees and the people are like, yeah, it's super annoying. And Jesus is like, exactly. So don't do that. I'm saying don't do that. That is not in line with the righteousness that I'm talking about, that I've described. It's inherited, it's complete, and it's sure. So, remember back when Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So if your righteousness must exceed the scribes and Pharisees, then I assume the way you live that out must exceed at least look different than the scribes and Pharisees as well. D.A. Carson 
uh, who's a theologian and a pastor, who wrote this. The demand for genuine perfection, that's the law, the demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of personal piety. The demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of personal, personal piety. So, sounding the gongs, making yourself look so pious and religious. The demand for perfection is lost when you start dabbling in all of that. Now remember, Jesus wants you to know, you cannot fix your wayward heart, your sinful heart, with some good deeds. This is not, this is not a weights and measures thing. How much does your sin weigh? About 4,000 pounds. Okay, you need 4,000 good works then. That's just, no, we're not doing that. Gifted righteousness frees us from record-keeping love. That's what Jesus is telling us here. What, what I noticed in this text, I think it's interesting that Jesus uses, he calls God Father. And if you think about this is sort of a, I think, a new thing. And I imagine the religious people during this day finding that quite odd. Now, you and I might not find that odd because we hear that a lot. If you grew up in the church and that sort of thing, you know, God is your father. But here, look through the Old Testament. You don't see a lot of God is your father. You see Father Abraham. You see Abraham is our father. So I kind of think they might be like, hold on, who's this cat? Saying that Jesus is our father? Or saying that God is our father? Oh. Even so, God might be Jesus' father, right? He might be the father because he has a son, Jesus. But that, what does that have to do with us? And Jesus is saying, I just told you, you're wrapped up in me now. I've given my life to you. I've given my righteousness to you. So we're together. We're united. So that's why I say your Father in heaven. In verse 1, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 3, I'm sorry, 4, your Father sees in secret and will reward you. But the religious people don't have any, uh, the, the religious leaders, they're not looking at the fact that because Jesus has come, because Jesus did what we couldn't do, he's restored a relationship with the Father. They're not on that plane at all. They're just on do good and you're in and don't do good and you're out. It has nothing to do with the relationship with God or anything like that. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a commentator, writes this, The reason he reserved Jesus, the strongest condemnation for the Pharisees, was because they distorted the character of the Father. They turned him into a cruel tyrant, a slave driver, who did nothing but place restrictive burdens on people. That's what they're doing, replacing restrictive burdens on people. Not saying he's a gracious and loving Father. So the question that I think we need to ask is, why do we, if we're honest with ourselves, kind of feel a lot like these religious people, these religious leaders? Why do we feel the need to be recognized for our good deeds? When we help people, when we give, why do we feel the need to be noticed? Jesus says in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before people. Like, pay attention. Your, your heart will naturally just sort of go there. 
You don't have to try. Be really uh, vigilant about watching. Beware that your hearts don't just drift away from me and my righteousness and to an earning righteousness and to a, uh, other people proclaiming how righteous you are. Beware of that. You know, if you've ever tipped at a, a store or like at Starbucks, I did this the other day, like they give me my change and then I go to tip, but they turn around to get your coffee and they don't see you give the tip, right? And you want to reach back in, pull it out, and then wait till they turn around and be like, you know? I want to be recognized for that. Now they don't even know that I gave, you know? It's, it's, I, that, that, just, that just is in us. We want to be recognized for that. Instead, Jesus says, give without even paying attention to that. Help people without even paying attention to if you'll be noticed or not. Uh, my son played soccer, and um, I would ask, he'd love to play, play goalie. And I would ask him after the game, how many goals did they score on you? And I was looking for one answer. And that answer is, I don't know. That's the correct answer. Because I wanted him to have an extremely short memory when it came to goals. Because if they score a goal on you and then you remember that goal, and that's all he thinks about is that goal that's got scored on him, what, what happens next time? That just replays itself, doesn't it? But if they score a goal on him and he's like, all right, let's do this again. Let's see it. Come on, bring it. Um, then that, we're much better off. Well, that's sort of, sorry for the, the weird analogy, but that's sort of how it is what Jesus is saying here. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't keep track. How many people did you help out last week? I don't know. I didn't write it down. I don't have a list. I don't know. Hopefully I had the opportunity, and I did, and I'm thankful that Jesus did that, but I, I don't know. A short memory when it comes to those sorts of things. Jesus then in verse 2 continues, and he uses the word hypocrite to describe these people that are practicing their righteousness to be seen by others. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, verse 2, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets they have, that they may be praised by others. And he says they have received their reward. Why does he call them hypocrites? This word was in reference to being in a play and sort of wearing a mask. That would have been what a hypocrite was. So that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? They're parading around as righteous people, totally neglecting the fact of who they really are which is sinners in desperate need of a righteousness that they can't get at themselves. So they put the mask on by parading around and making a big deal of their helping other people, probably saying things like, oh, (laughs) praise God, you know, he's so good to, to let me be so righteous in front of you all, you know. Be honest about who you are. Be honest in the fact that you're a person who needs a righteousness you don't have and is drawn towards earning it yourself by showing everybody how righteous you are. You know, the the first step in AA is honesty. It reads like this. Step one, we we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. The first step is like if you want to come in here and be a part of this community, you got to be honest about one thing. And that is, you're jacked up. So let's all say that together. We're jacked up. You know, that's what AA is doing. That's not too different than what we do here, is it? It's like, hi, my name's Ryan. 
my sin has become unmanageable. Uh, hi, I'm a sinner. You know, that's what we do in this community as well. I need Jesus. I can't do it myself. I've tried and tried and tried, and I cannot do it. And that's why Jesus started with the law stuff, because he was going to pound that into you, into us, about how, look, you can't manage it. You can't create the righteousness yourself. Let the law do its work. You know who's honest about who they are? He mentioned them in the very beginning of his sermon. It sounded something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, there's some people who are honest about their true state in front of the law of God, in front of the demand for perfection by God. Now, why in the world do we, instead of just being honest about who we are, turn another direction and go out and play a big trumpet and show everybody we're great helpers to other people and how righteous we are? I think it's, it's really about speaking to our conscience that is plaguing us. And so I think all of us know we really can't be the perfect people we ought to be. So how are we going to deal with that? And so we come up with this scheme. Here's a good idea. How about instead of turning to Christ and, and, and saying, have mercy upon us sinners, how about instead, how about we, we do a bunch of good things and make ourselves feel good about it and have other people say how great we are? Won't that make our, us feel better? Then we'll be able to say to our conscience when it condemns us and says you're not righteous enough, we'll say, hey, what about yesterday? Remember being out there and all those people who were saying how great I was when I blew that trumpet and gave? Remember that? I don't think I'm that bad. And so we, we let our conscience uh, off the hook by saying and, and bringing up these good works that Jesus says, hey, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why are those so cemented in your mind so that you can pull them up during this time of your conscience condemning you? Let the law do its work. Now, what, is the, uh, what are the three steps towards, you know, living your righteousness perfectly? Well, I don't know uh, that answer, but I have maybe one that is uh, a little, maybe not, not so helpful, but hopefully helpful in some regard. And that is, I think the difficult solution is just faith. It's faith. The easy thing to do is that thing, the, 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 the uh, keep track of all your good deeds and, and make other people think they're great. That's the easy way to get around the conscience. The difficult way is, is faith. The difficult way when your conscience condemns you is to say, I'm banking it all on Jesus and his work on my behalf. How have I done good works? I hope to God that I have. I hope that I help people in need. But that's not my hope. That's not where my hope lies. My hope lies in Jesus. And I have faith that this guy named Jesus came to earth, that he was God and man, that he lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and then he raised up in victory, and now I get what he deserves. I, it's just faith. That's the, that's the only solution to the conscience that plagues us. That's the only solution instead of this one. The 
blowing the trumpet, the making sure people know of your good deeds. It takes a lot of trust. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. We're all going to struggle with it this week. We all struggled with it last week. But what happens is I think God has actually been able to change the reason why we do what we do. In other words, we don't do things and love other people to get a reward, but it starts to sound a lot like what he does. In other words, he loves because he loves. And so we start to love other people because we love other people, not because they're worthy of our love, not because we need it so that he approves of us, but we just love them because we love them. And love starts bubbling out of our hearts. It's a much different scenario than the one you see here than the religious leaders. They're trying to earn. They're trying to get. We're talking about just loving to love. Loving because love is, is coming out and boiling over. But there's an example of, of two different baseball players who are playing the exact same game, doing the exact same things, but for totally different reasons. Right? So the first one, the first one's all about stats. He keeps track of everything. He works on uh, afterwards, after practice, he's working on things, going over his steps and his hip rotation and his speed and all this thing, and he, he knows exactly where he was at last year at the same time in the season, and he knows where he, where he needs to be, and he knows percentages, he's got it all down, always watching videos, always re-watching his games. And there's another guy who loves when springtime comes around, right? The smell, the grass being with the other guys on the team, that tar on the bat, the sounds of that wood bat hitting the ball, uh, sunflower seeds in your mouth, tobacco, I don't know, whatever. He just loves every bit of it. He just can't get enough of it. And if you ask him, man, isn't it great to be in the major leagues? And he'll be like, I, every day I still can't believe I'm here. Like it was a dream of mine. But I, it, every day I wake up and I'm like, is this for real? I mean, I know I have a jersey, I have a locker, I get that I'm here, but every day I'm still like, wow, this is unbelievable that I get to do this. What a joy. Do you see that difference? That's kind of what, what Jesus is talking about here. The religious people, they're keeping track of everything. It's exhausting. Some of us are in that. Give it up, it's exhausting. And just say, God, help me. Give me a new heart that does things not out of duty, but just out of love for people, a great desire to love others. Man, what would it look like if we could live like that? If, if, our, if our righteousness was really taken care of, there wasn't any guilt, there wasn't uh, any shame, there wasn't any being forced to, there wasn't you have to do this. You could just do it because Jesus is in you and living through you, and he's creating a heart of love. Go back to the sermon summary. Gifted righteousness frees us from record-keeping love, and we might add, and opens the door to genuine love for love's sake. It opens the door to, to loving because you love, not loving because you have to keep track. So good deeds. A lot of you have been looking for, for a long time to say, what are you going to say about good deeds? So we just keep sinning all the more? No, 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 no. Good deeds, great. Do good deeds. Just don't use them as proof of your righteousness. 
Don't just use them to think that you're good with God because you do good things, because that's not what our faith is built on. If it was, Jesus would have just come as like a life coach, you know, and given us like all these steps to be better people. Now, that's not what we needed. We need a Savior who comes and actually lives the life for us and then gifts it to us. So don't put any hope in those good works. Just enjoy them. Be surprised by them, just like that baseball player who's surprised that he can be in the majors. Same with us. I'm so surprised that God is loving people through me. It's amazing. This is so cool. It must be him, his life within me, living through me. I'm not good, but God has, by the presence of Christ within me, has brought good out of this wretched soul. It's amazing. So engage in good deeds. Go crazy. Take all those stickers off there and buy everything for VBS. We just won't send you a thank you card, you know? (laughs) I'm just kidding. We will thank you. Good deeds are great. They're very important. They're a part of the life, the Christian life. But they just don't determine whether we're a Christian or not. Jesus determines that. The faith of Christ, the work of Christ on our behalf, that's what determines our Christianity. Let's pray. Father, we can come to you today as your children um, without fear. We can approach you like a father because of what Jesus has done for us. We're so thankful for that. And forgive us when we forget it day after day and sometimes hour after hour, minute after minute. Would you cement it deep into our brains what Jesus has done for us? And then show us what more what this life looks like about genuinely loving those who are in need because they're in need. And we can think back and remember how much we're in need and how you came to us when we were in deep need and served and loved and provided for us. And may what you've done for us in the gospel inform the way we live now. And may we live in a way that goes to the needy and to the helpless and provides out of compassion and out of love for them and out of those things only. Help us. We need your help. So much help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.